guys, it's Chris and Carly back with part two and our final episode of the Enneagram and Teenagers podcast series here at the Live Podcast. We are releasing our interview with Susie Anstabile in two parts, and this is numbers five through nine. Right. So if you didn't listen to the first one where we talk about numbers one through four, you don't want to miss that. Even if you're not one of those numbers, I guarantee you know someone in your life who is whether that's a teenager or another adult. So we encourage you to go back and listen to that. If you've missed any of the episodes in this series, go back and listen, but especially that first one with Suzanne. But we are excited to dive back into type five. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will dive back in. So um, there is no slow movement into this interview right after the intro. We're just going to jump in, but we're excited for everything that Suzanne has to say about the rest of the numbers. This particular podcast I guess some stronger language was necessary to explain some of these numbers, especially coming from a teenage point of view. And so if you have little little ears on the car, um, you know, just kind of be mindful of that as you go through this interview. Nothing too bad, but just make sure that you know that we just kind of talk using more adult language on some of these topics. So without further ado, let's jump back into our interview with Suzanne Stabile. So as we move into five. Um, that's a big move. Big move. <laughs> that's, that's a very big move. Yeah, we're going to make a big move. Especially as we're talking about adolescence. It's a huge move. Yeah. So um, imagine being 15 and wanting to be alone. So there's that. Then imagine being 15 and having a limited amount of energy. So fives have... A measured amount of energy. They wake up with the same amount of energy every day. And when they use it up, it's all gone. And they feel excruciatingly vulnerable when they're out of energy. And it's like manna. You you can't store up for tomorrow. You can't store up over the weekend to get ready for the school week. You get the same amount every morning. Every encounter, every handshake, every phone call... Every experience you have takes part of that energy. And then fives go home to parents who think that they're spending too much time at home and who want them to play a sport and be a scout and go to the dance on Friday night and go to the basketball game on Tuesday night. And they don't know how to say, I can't. So they say no. And... It, it's, a, it's a constant battle. So if you work with adolescents, fives sit near the door so they can leave. If there's an inner circle and an outer circle, they'll always sit on the outer circle. They're always on the edges because they can't stand to be anywhere else. And then we embarrass them and try to pull them into the middle of whatever's happening which uses up all of their energy. Actually, they like new experiences and new adventures, and they like to do new things, and they get bored with repetition. But they also have to have alone time. So a good example, um, I, I travel quite a bit, and when you're not in Texas and you pull in the parking lot at a hotel or some other places, they have lots of spaces that are reserved for electric cars. And it's kind of frustrating. You know, it's like, ah, these Mm. people with electric cars, why don't they buy some gas? I need a parking place. (laughs) Because that's where we're from Texas, right? Mm -hmm. But 
the fives need a space to plug in, mm. like those cars. And if they don't have it, then they don't. They are so frightened because they know they don't have the energy to do whatever's next. It just costs them so much. So this is a big statement, and it's true. It costs fives more to show up for a relationship than any other number. It costs fives more in a youth group to lead, to read, to be in a skit. It costs them more than it costs anybody else. And so when you're aware that kids are on the edges, you need to find out why they're on the edge. Are they on the edge because they're hurting and feel like they don't belong? We all assume, who don't know the Enneagram, that they're on the edge because they want to be in, but they just can't find a way in. And then you can be mindful of giving them opportunities to talk about things with presentation of information. That's how they talk to you. They are thinking dominant, and so they, they don't share their feelings much. But feeling supports thinking for fives, and that means that they have feelings about their ideas. And if you don't agree with them, it hurts their feelings. And fives tend to have ideas that everybody might not be on board with. So, you know, I I don't know if I have specific examples of how people who are working with adolescents can do specific things to help them. But here's what I believe in in terms of people. I think if you learn enough about each of the nine numbers, you'll know how to help them. If you can allow for all those differences... And, you, you know, the road back to you can get you started on that. And literally the path between us can help you help fives build relationships. Mm-hmm. Because it tells you how. Mm-hmm. It tells you what they need and how they hear and all that. So that's, that's what I got. Yeah, as I'm listening, my, my husband's a five. Yeah. And that time, I feel like, is the best gift that I can yeah. give him. Sometimes, especially, and he more than anyone will line up five nights in a row of stuff to do. But if there are two things on one day, he's done where I'm looking at the week going, we've got a busy week, but he can do that if it's spread out over days. And if he gets to plan for it, right. If he can plan for it, but that time when he gets home from work, I just know he needs some time to himself. This is not the time for me to unload about my day yet. Um, And the thing you have to do, the thing that's on his side of the fence is he has to limit how much of that time he gives himself, which right. it sounds like he's trying to do. Mm-hmm. So you can't just let fives not be a part. Mm-hmm. You, you have to find out when they want to plug in and then not need them to plug in again the next time. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to sixes. So let's talk about the fact that you both look very serious. Am I doing what you want me to do? You're doing great. Yes. No, this is okay. this is great. We're trying to soak in all the information okay. that you're <laughs> okay. I'll probably not get this opportunity again, so they're just really enjoying this, <laughs> okay. just listening. All right, I'm just making sure. <laughs> no, 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 this is... Yeah, this has been great. My wheels have been spinning the whole time, so... Yeah. All right, want to talk about sixes? Yeah, let's do it. I feel like, I don't know why, I feel like sixes is one of the hardest numbers on the Enneagram for me to understand. That's because there are so many of them. Hmm. And they choose not to stand out. So you, you, you first need to know that sixes are focused on authority all the time. And there's always authority. You know, there's a kid who has authority. There are adults who have authority. There's an authority figure. 
And sixes are all focused on authority, but there are two kinds of sixes. There are sixes who believe that if they go by all the rules and do everything the authority figure asks them to do, they're safe. But there are also sixes who believe that you can't really trust authority, so I'm going to wait and see if they do everything they say they're going to do. And if they do, then I'm going to trust them. So you got all that going on. So sixes don't like to be in authority positions usually because they know that everybody's watching authority figures. And always remember that we ascribe to the world the way we are. Hmm. So one of the things I haven't talked about, and I don't really think we have time today, but one of the things that's associated with each of the Enneagram numbers is a sin or a passion. I prefer the word passion because lots of folks are being are confused about the word sin and have been hurt by the misuse of that word. So the passion or the sin for sixes is fear. So their greatest desire is to feel safe. So as I think about who might be listening to your podcast in terms of working with adolescents, I'm so mindful that half of the adolescents on the planet are struggling with anxiety most of the time. And I define fear in Enneagram wisdom as anxiety because in sixes, it's about possible future events. So it's not about what's happening. It's about what's going to happen. And we are patronizing with sixes like we are with ones. So we tell six, you don't need to worry about that. We've got it covered. You know, I'll tell you where youth pastors know sixes, and that is in the parents Youth pastors know sixes in terms of parents when they're taking their kid on a trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, those parents uh-huh. who call you and ask you a thousand questions. Right. They're sixes. Mm-hmm. So we got six adolescents too, and they're the ones who ask a thousand questions. But they don't doubt you. The questions they're asking are to make sure that they know what you expect from them or what you want from them. Mm-hmm. And so they're always clarifying. But they ask so many questions, you kind of want to hit them. It's like, <laughs> stop, we've got this. Yes. We've we got a plan, we have it covered, we've got it. that's not helpful. So you just have to answer the questions. Mm. And you'll find that they'll get to a question you hadn't thought of. You'll find that they help you remember that thing that you were going to forget to take that you're going to need. Also, sixes are the most concerned about the common good. So they're the people who point out to you the fives who are on the edge and the fours who haven't been in a skit and the guys who are taking, aren't taking notes, they're drawing football plays. You, you know what I'm saying? Like they're telling you what's happening that they think you don't see because they're worried about the common good. And when you say to them, you don't need to be worry, and this is what we say to adolescents, you don't need to worry about them, you just worry about yourself. Worry about yourself. <laughs> then you're telling them to not be who they are in the world and to not use their biggest gift, mm. which is to be concerned about the common good. Right. On the other hand, can you imagine in our culture, right now, today, based on what's on the news, and in social media, and what's happening everywhere. How rare it must be when they think, I feel safe. Hmm. 
So what sixes do to manage their fear is worst-case scenario planning. They intuitively plan for the very worst thing that could happen, and then they think about how they're going to manage that and how they're going to handle that. And so when they're worst-case scenario planning, the best thing you can do if you work with them is to exacerbate their fear rather than negate it. So this is probably a really bad example, but if they say, so we're going in five cars to the coast to do a mission trip. What if we have a flood? Then you say, well, we have a spare, and we're traveling together. Well, what if one car gets separated from the others and we have a flat? Well, we have a spare. Well, what if the spare doesn't work? Well, then we'll call. Well, what if we're out of cell tower range and we can't call? And when you stop asking questions, they think you don't have a plan. So you just keep answering and answering and answering. And then you end up with, you know, that's so good that you asked that. I think what I'll do is tell every car that if somebody's not in your sight, that you need to slow down and check on them. And then they're good. Hmm. And we tend to want to put an umbrella over what they're afraid of and jump the umbrella and they can't. Right. I feel like being a teenager and being a sick, especially with so much future focus, would be a really difficult thing. You know, just the unknowns of what, what am I going to do, do? right? Um, the help for that is their orientation to time is the present moment. So if y'all aren't aware with orientation to time, which is real important, threes, sevens, and eights are oriented to the future. Fours, fives, and nines are oriented to the past. And ones, twos, and sixes are oriented to the present moment. And so while sixes worry about life, they're worried more about what's happening right Okay. Now. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's very helpful. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, we run into so many teenagers with anxiety and stress. Yep. And I'm sure that happens in, across all numbers, but how yes. much worse that is for a six who has already bent that way. And to have, um, I can't remember if you've said this, but I've heard a committee. Is that the language yeah. you use? A committee that's in your head constantly saying, well, what about this? And did you think of this? And did right. they think of this? And the thing I would say about that is um, I I actually learned a lot this last year. You know, I have a, I have had, this is the last year of it, a three-year apprentice program. And um, I walked in here uh, about a year ago and put on the board um, North Korea, Jonesboro, Doc, um, the two terrible hurricanes were happening at that time, one in Houston and another one on the coast. I put that on the board. And I did it and then asked everybody to react to it so my apprentices could all see each number react to all of that stressful stuff. And the least stressful, the least stressed people in the room were the sixes because they already had a plan for all that. They think in terms of all those things could go wrong. So when there is a, a, a bunch of dominoes that fall and there's a lot of angst in the air, sixes are actually often in better shape than other numbers are because they already have a plan and other numbers haven't thought of it. They didn't expect to ever be there. They didn't think it would affect them, they, all that. Interesting. 
So I'm going to back up and talk about fives for a minute. Yeah. Just because I forgot to say this. And I, I've, I've taught quite a bit at Baylor University. And when I teach there, the housing folks come. And I've learned a lot from them. And they've learned a lot from me. And, you know, when you take kids overnight anywhere, sleeping arrangements, privacy, housing, very, very important for fives. Just to, where are they going to get space, mm-hmm. right? So if you get, y'all are all going to sleep on air mattresses on a gym floor somewhere. For fives, that's breathtaking. The bathroom is communal. There's no space. That's breathtaking. So if somebody's going to make a run to the store, take that kid that you think's a five with you. Mm-hmm. Don't take just that kid, but take that kid mm-hmm. and other kids so they get a break from so much and so many, right. right? And the reason I backed up to say that is people who work with adolescents, once they get the difference in the nine numbers, they're going to start thinking that way. You know, the Enneagram, mm-hmm. once you learn it, you can't unlearn it, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. right? So far more important than the adolescents being labeled with a number or naming their own number for themselves is people who work with adolescents who are familiar enough with the Enneagram to recognize behavior that needs to be addressed. Whether or not that kid's in stress, and so they look like a number that they're not, whether or not it it doesn't matter, right? It's that needs to be addressed, and I know how to address it. Mm. And so once people who work with adolescents have embraced this enormous difference in the nine ways of seeing, then they're halfway there. Right. So speaking of the kid that everyone might want to have in their their group or their youth group is the you want to talk about sevens? Talk about the seven. <laughs> well, we, the reason we, youth we, pastors want sevens in their youth group is because they're usually sevens. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Which means none of the paperwork's getting done, and the details are weak. But the kids are having a great yeah. time. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, except when it isn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, you know, I I. I uh, I have a son who's a seven, and um, I have to say that I think he found himself on mission trips and with youth groups. You, You know, when you get to be the life of a party that is being thrown for somebody else, then that's the ter- territory that makes boys men and girls women, I think, in terms of sevenness. And our son Joel found himself being the lighthearted guy on mission trips where he got to address all of his tender feelings by doing something. And... I actually think there are numbers on the Enneagram, threes, sevens, and eights, that can't really build relationships sitting around a table talking about a topic. Uh, Anything that involves sharing how they feel about something, they're all feeling repressed, so that's, that's a problem. But if you put them painting a habitat house or helping somebody clean up a piece of property or mowing lawns for somebody 
with their peers, then they get to know one another and they get to know themselves on the breaks. Hmm. And I, I think it is transformative and necessary for young sevens to have opportunities where they help somebody besides themselves for whom they can feel like they accomplished something and for whom they have a tender heart. And then they don't have to talk about their feelings. They get to do something about them. Um, I do think you have to watch for seven adolescents for reframing. Um, the problem with sevens is they reframe everything instantly. And in day-to-day living, they only have a half range of emotions. So, and it's the happy half. So, uh, you have lots of sevens, adults, who have never grieved anything. I think the church does a terrible job with modeling, allowing, and teaching grieving. And I think adolescents experience a lot of grief that they don't know how to name. And they don't know what to do with all of that. So... I I think there's a lot of grieving involved in growing up. And I think it's dangerous not to let threes, sevens, and eights grieve and not to create ways for them to have that experience. And there are myriad ways of doing that, so I'm not going to go into that. But you got to watch for that reframing. I guarantee you it was a seven who first said, it's all good. (laughs) It's all good. You don't need to worry about me. It's all good. Mm -hmm. I'm good. We're good. And so I want to tell you two things that sevens need that they don't know how to ask for. And one is sevens don't believe that their needs are going to be taken care of. So they're, they're in the fear triad. Five, sixes, and sevens are in the thinking dominant fear triad on the Enneagram. And they don't look afraid, and they are. And the other thing sevens need is they need you to check in on them. And it doesn't look like they need it, so we usually don't. Hmm. And you have to watch for what's beneath the story that they've reframed. You have to work a little harder at the check-in? I do think you have to work harder, and I think you have to uh, be very disciplined in receiving what they say without feeling like you have to offer a comment. And if they respond with a feeling or if they're emotional, let it be. Don't speak to it, don't point it out, and don't respond with feelings. Interesting. It's tricky. Yeah, that is a tricky place of, because a lot of times they won't open up about feelings. Is that right. correct? And if they do, then people make a big deal out of it. And then they won't open up about it That's ever again. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for them to do because they reframe everything so fast. Mm-hmm. They don't really very often know what they feel. Hmm. So um, I would say that. And I would say that it's real important with threes, sevens, and eights threes and eights that you not expect them to always bring the energy and sevens that you not always expect them to bring fun. Hmm. Something of kind of a common thread. And we talk about this a lot as we train volunteers who work with teenagers about being non-directive and sometimes being able to step back and, Mm -hmm. and not place your expectations on them as to how they should feel or think of any of those things. But, give them that space. And I feel like you're saying that a lot in these numbers. I am. As, as a parent or a, a helper, we often feel like that's our role. That's what we're here to do is to 
tell you what we think and feel. We have the experience <laughs> that they don't. Right. And I feel like that's probably one of the hardest things that an adult working with an adolescent can really do is to be able to let go of that. Well, the most important thing to learn is you don't know what they think and feel. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you have no idea because they're not you and they're probably not your number. Mm-hmm. You know, we have four children. We have a four and a seven and a nine and an eight. <laughs> and they're all as different as they can be. And thankfully, we learned the Enneagram when they were younger. And none of them are an extension of me. They're like me in ways that they've chosen to adopt. But none of them are an extension of Joe and me. And I I think the assumption, see, I, I think you're a leg up just because you're aware of the Enneagram if you're working with adolescents. Because that assumption that we're pretty much all the same and they're pretty much all the same is not true. And as soon as you learn the Enneagram, you know that. Mm -hmm. It's just not true. And so I think the danger is, so I'll tell you the worst thing I ever, one of the worst things I ever did as a parent. It's one of the worst. So our youngest son is a four on the Enneagram and he's gay. And growing up in a, a, in, with parents in ministry, um, thank God in the Methodist Church, but with parents in ministry uh, in Texas, uh, in a family with three older siblings who are all athletes. BJ was with the Texas Boys Choir for five years and went to school there and all that. So he had his thing that he did. But it's, it's tricky. It's very tricky. And... Um, when he was maybe in the third grade, relationships are everything for fours. That's what they want the most. And they're the least likely to have them as children. And um, I said to BJ one day, do you think you would be a little less lonely if you could just be a little more like other kids? And that is absolutely the worst thing I could have ever said. Hmm. Authenticity is the thing that fours hold on to. For me to act more like other people comes naturally. So I, it's no loss for me as a two. It, it, it was a terrible thing to say to him because I said, you're right, you're not okay. And if you could be a little more like them, it'd be so great. Hmm. And I think that's what we all do is loving parents. Mm-hmm. We try to give our children what will make them happy, and we try to offer wisdom that works for our number that might not necessarily work for theirs. Right. So I think the answer is to give options as answers instead of an answer. Hmm. And if people do enough Enneagram work, then they can know whether or not to give options that bring up thinking or options that bring up feeling are options that bring up doing. And then that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you're getting really deep into <laughs> Yeah. That's another thing. But it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. Eights. Yeah, so let's get into eights. I'm really interested to hear about an adolescent eight. Okay. Um, everybody loves male adolescent eights mm-hmm. and uh, female adolescent eights are bitches. That's what everybody calls them. They've been calling them bitches since they were probably in third grade. Uh, They have a love-hate relationship with them. Um, Probably nobody is suffering 
more on the Enneagram than male fours and female eights mm. as adolescents. Mm -hmm. And um, interestingly enough, um, they too are very concerned about authenticity. And they're feeling repressed, and most importantly, they have no, male and female, they have no idea how they affect other people. It's just that even though it's 2018, we tolerate big in the room, big ideas, strong leadership in adolescent boys and not in adolescent girls. Wow. And um, the more hurt they've had or the more trauma they've had in their lives, the tougher they are. Mm. So, um, again, service projects give them a place to stand where they get to build a relationship with other people while they're doing something else. They're not going to share feelings with you ever. And if it's required, they just make up something. They, uh, uh, and I, I don't think people can hear this, so I'm going to give you a little lead in and tell you, I'm, I'm not sure about everything I say. I'm real sure about this. Eights will maybe trust 10 people in a lifetime. And what they want from you 100% of the time is the whole truth and all of the truth. They want all the news. doesn't have to be good news. They want all the news. So they want you to walk up to them and say, you probably hear this a lot. You're very strong, very talented, and you're too bossy. And it's turning off other kids. So if you, if you want to work on that, I'll work with you. Um, don't say... Do you think you're a little strong? They don't have any respect for that. Doesn't mean anything to them. And they, their response is, I don't think you're strong enough. Hmm. So they're already struggling. Males have too much put on them to be leaders, and they're afraid to fail. Females feel like they're misunderstood by everybody. And eights are the most misunderstood number on the Enneagram, without exception. Hmm. And so I think they need to be in leadership positions, but they have to be taught to hear everybody. Mm -hmm. So that has to be modeled for them. You know, they have a solution. To teach them to listen to everybody else's idea is very intentional. They're not going to pick that up. It's like, wh why are we listening to that? I, I have an answer. Mine's the fastest. It's going to work. And we can do something else. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things I say, and, and this I think would be particularly helpful to your folks. And one is to teach AIDS that you can't lead a group that you haven't joined. So they have to become a follower in a group before they can lead the group. Hmm. And that's really challenging for them. And so we give them leadership positions too soon. Hmm. Second thing you have to watch for in adolescent eights is if there's no leader in the group, they become the leader. And they just take over. And they don't mean to. And they run over you. And they don't mean to. I, um, Naughty Boltzweber happens to be a friend of mine. She's a very strong female eight Lutheran pastor. And I did a podcast with her not very long ago. And I said to her, Nadia, in, in, in this part of your journey, what is the Enneagram teaching you? She just turned 50. And her answer was, it's teaching me about the, the, the wake of destruction that I've left behind me in my eightness. 
So I think uh, eights are usually mature for their age. And I think if you can learn to walk beside them as they evaluate other people's responses to them, it'll be helpful. They don't care if people like them particularly. And, you know, they think people are going to betray them, and that's because people usually do. And so it, it, adolescence is a really hard time for them. And the worst thing to do, because I did this too, is to tell them that it's going to get better. I told my daughter, Joey, who's an eight, I said in junior high, it'll get better in high school. And then in high school, I said, it'll get better in college. <laughs> <laughs> and then in college, I said, it'll get better when you uh, get a job. But she's vice president of John Paul II High School, and it's not better. She's better, and she's learned a lot, but it's not better. Hmm. And be aware that eights always have a heart for and an awareness of the underdog. And they're never bullies. Eights are the people that you use to control the bullies because they wouldn't bully anybody. And one more thing I would say about eights is that you can be sure that uh, eights wouldn't hurt anybody intentionally. They don't think about other kids enough to hurt them intentionally. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I hear you say that they don't care if, um, I care as much if people like them, so is respect what they care about? What is the thing that they're looking out for? Well, they would tell you that they want to be respected, but what they tell me is that they know they're respected, that they want to be loved. Hmm. So. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Tricky. Well, finally, let's move to nines. Uh, we've Come to your number, Chris. Yeah, I know. <laughs> teach me, teach me. <laughs> I doubt if you need a lot of teaching about adolescence, but I'll tell you what I've got. Yeah. Um, merging. So nines merge, and that means that they uh, are self-forgetting. So they forget what they would like to do. Everybody else seems louder. Everybody else seems more intent on doing what they want to do than nines do. And so nines um, uh, didn't, they grew up not feeling like it was okay to assert themselves. So they kind of haven't learned to do that yet. So they merge with the dominant voice. And in merging, they give up what they want, but they literally give it up. Like they don't merge with the dominant voice and still wish they could do that. They've merged with you. So the danger is who's the dominant voice? And who's the dominant voice uh, for that adolescent? Who are they merging with? And um, I think um, there's not a better peacemaker than nines. And nines don't pitch a fit if they don't get their way or don't get what they want. But the thing that I, I think y'all have to work at, work at and the people that you are speaking to have to work at is helping nines find out what they want and then giving them the space to pursue that. And it's not easy. Mm. And the other thing I would say about nines is that while they merge and they don't like conflict and they're peacemakers, they also are not generally uh, swayed by peer pressure. 
nines actually are the least controlling of all the numbers. The more mature they get, the more likely they are if their peers are going to do something that they're not in agreement with. They don't try to get other people not to do it. They just make up an excuse and go home. Mm-hmm. And so um, when there's a crisis, nines tend to play their cards really close to their chest. They are uh, good secret keepers. But if you can get them to work as mediators in whatever situation they find themselves in, then they really shine. What I hope for, for young nines, I I don't know if it happens very often in adolescence, and I certainly doubt if it happens in adolescence, in um, middle to upper income families, it might for younger nines, is that um, there's a thing in nines called right action, so nines hate conflict, so they they go along to get along, but they don't do that at the cost of their own integrity. And then maybe eight or ten times in a lifetime, a big thing happens, and they don't go along. And they take a stand if they need to, and the conflict that surrounds that doesn't bother them, and it's called right action. And right action is the counter to sloth, which is the passion for the nines. And sloth is, is not laziness. It's a, a desire to be unaffected by life. And once they experience right action, then they're able to know that they're a beloved child of God. Hmm. And prior to that, I don't think they can wrap their heads around that at all. Hmm. It takes that standing up for something you really believe in for them to know how good they are. And for them to kind of value themselves and think, you know, I'm, I matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's worth it with a nine to go after what they want. Um, they're good leaders. Um, introverted nines, you'll have to go after a little more. And um, I, I think nines who are trapped in conflict, conflict at home, Conflict at school. I think they're in a lot of trouble. Hmm. Trapped personally. like They just don't know how to manage not being able to get away from conflict. So I think people who work with them have to watch for that. Right. So if you know a kid's parents are going through a divorce and you think that they're a nine, you better keep an eye on them because right. nobody is. And they've got a lot going on. And sixes and nines tend to think that they're parents' problems are their problems, hmm. that they cause them in some way, hmm. and that they hold the solution to them in hmm. some way. Right. You know, they're just easygoing, laid-back folks who really struggle when the groups that they're a part of aren't getting along with each other. That being trapped in the middle of two groups who are pulling at you, that's particularly hard for adolescent female nights, hmm. I think. That peacemaker part in them. Yeah. And, and it's just, can't y'all just get along with each other and leave me out of it mm-hmm. kind of and nines also need space not as much as fives but they need some too see and whenever i first started this that's when i, I, I was convinced i was a five at first yeah. because of that yeah because <laughs> i yep. there are times i just need a little bit of space yep. but then you can come back yeah gotta have it though yeah it makes a lot of sense 
Well, this has been incredible, Suzanne. Um, Thank you for walking us through those types as teenagers. But before we leave, is there anything, any advice or um, just short tips that you would have for these helpers, these parents, as they're working with teenagers? I know you've talked about that through this whole podcast, but what would you leave them with of, okay, you've listened to this. Here's what you do next with your teen. It's so self-serving. You can edit it out if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we want your answer. I think every parent should read The Road Back to You. Mm -hmm. And I think every parent and every, every worker, everybody who's hanging out with adolescents, parents, teachers, youth workers, therapists, everybody who's hanging out with adolescents, I think you should read The Road Back to You, and I think you should read The Path Between Us. Mm-hmm. I, and agree, I agree with you. So. I, and, and I'm saying, I wrote those books. You, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm a teacher. And I love teaching. I wrote because I can't teach enough people. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe in what I've given myself to for the last 30 years. And I believe that it can make a monumental difference. And it's not enough to hear a podcast and think, I get it. No. (laughs) But the way those two books are laid out, there are tips for you on charts where you have a cheat sheet after you read a 240-page book that won't take you long to read, right? Right. And they tell you how to communicate. They tell you how to be heard. They tell you how to listen. They tell you what to watch for. So I I believe any investment in those two books is helpful. I um, think that it would be enormously helpful for... um, that audience to listen to the liturgist podcast number 37 which is the one that the liturgist did with ian and me where we talk about all the numbers the liturgist did an exquisite job of pulling that together Mm. so that's a it's a great podcast that's a quick Mm -hmm. easy um after reading these two i would suggest that people consider or try my podcast the enneagram journey Because my podcast is about listening to people talk about themselves as their number. And I'm never going to be that good at that. I I did a podcast today with a seven who is on staff at Baylor University in the Spiritual Life Center. And um, she just says things about how sevens operate in the world that I uh, hadn't picked up. So I'll give you one example. Today she said... You know, I feel terrible when people want to look back at something with me. And so, like she was talking about in her family, people remember things. And she doesn't have the same memory they have at all. And she said, it's because I reframe everything in real time. And so I reframed those things when they were happening. If my feelings got hurt, if I felt left out, if I was bored, I reframed it right then. So my memory's not even the same as everybody else's. That's brilliant. And that would have never come out of me because I'm not a seven. So um, I think if you take to the Enneagram and you like it, then I think those are some good helps. Most people who do a podcast with me for the first time ask this question. And the question is, what's dangerous about the Enneagram? 
And here's what's dangerous overall, and then I'm going to give you a couple of specific dangers. Overall, the Enneagram is dangerous if you take it to be more than it is. It's really great, and it's just one thing. And it's better with prayer and with uh, groups and with other spiritual disciplines and with service, and it's, it's far better combined with other spiritual practices. So I'm, I want to be sure I say that. And it's not the end-all, be-all of anything. So um, it's wisdom. Receive it as wisdom. And don't, um, don't talk about it too much because it can be insider-outsider language in groups, and that's the worst. Mm. Um, don't uh, say to people, I bet you're a, if you're a team working with adolescents, don't pick out a number you think a kid is and then share that with the team and say, I bet they're. Mm -hmm. Try not to do that and be aware that there's nothing valuable about the Enneagram that you can't say without using numbers and without using the word the Enneagram. All that wisdom translates without you labeling it and overusing it. So, you know, it's exciting and it's helpful. So backpedal a little bit. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I think would be potentially dangerous is sometimes people uh, punish with Enneagram numbers once they learn it. Adolescents would be particularly prone to that, Mm -hmm. I would think. Mm -hmm. You're just a seven. You don't take things seriously or... All you right. know, all that. All right. So I'd watch for that. Right. Thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. You're so welcome. I really hope it's helpful. Oh, it, 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 if it's just for us, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's but yeah, I, 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 our, our listeners are going to really benefit from this. And But again, thank you for your time. That's You're just so welcome. Thanks for having me. loved this series on the Enneagram as much as we loved recording it. Each of our guests had great things to say and each came at the Enneagram from a completely different perspective. And so I hope that you either were introduced to the Enneagram in a powerful way or that you got more information about it. And we especially hope that this series will equip you to better help teenagers. And so whether that's helping yourself to help them or like Suzanne was talking about, having context for how to talk to teenagers in your life. So any of the resources that were mentioned in the series, or if you missed any episodes, you can find all of that at www.teenlifepodcast.com. And that's where all this information will be if you want to find Suzanne or any of our other guests. And then finally, we hope that you'll share this with someone, that you'll share it on social media, that you'll share it with a friend who loves the Enneagram or whoever that looks like to you. And you can also share this by going on wherever you listen to podcasts and rating and review us. Give us a review, drop a line, send us an email, whatever that looks like for you. But we love to hear feedback and we hope that you'll continue to join the Teen Life Podcast.